Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, good morning. It is Friday, the 5th of May. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I hope you have already subscribed to Mornings with Carmen as a podcast. If not, please do so. You can do so wherever you get your podcast, or you can go to MyFaithRadio.com. You can download the Faith Radio app. All kinds of great things. You say, I don't know how to download an app. All right, just text the word app, A-P-P, to 877-933-2484. And um, the text you get back will give you a link that explains how. So if you say to yourself, you know what, it's time for me to join all the others who have downloaded apps. Yeah, now you're laughing because you have apps. You just maybe don't have this one. We want you to have it. It's free. The Faith Radio app. All right. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Psalm 23. And you say, the 23rd Psalm? I know the 23rd Psalm. Take a deep breath and hear again. The word of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He makes me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. You say to yourself, well, okay, I thought I knew the 23rd Psalm, but that doesn't sound like the way that I know it. Well, how do you know it? What does your heart say when I say, let us say together the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 23rd Psalm, one of the most memorized passages of the entire Bible. Um, You, I feel confident, have heard it referred to as a source of comfort, extended one to another in times of deepest darkness and particularly times of grief because it talks about being led through the valley of the shadow of death where we fear no evil. Why? Because he is with us. Or more accurately, we are with him. Entire books have been written about this one psalm. And so this morning, as we continue opening just these three verses, I want you to have the entirety of the psalm in view. What does it mean for goodness and mercy to follow you all the days of your life? What does it mean for you to need a shepherd? What does it mean for you to be a sheep, one sheep, one little lost lamb, and to know that there is a shepherd who came to seek and save? It's one thing to need a shepherd. It's an entirely different thing to have one. But then there are varieties of shepherds, aren't there? And so God actually has a lot to say in the Bible about shepherds and sheep, and we will absolutely return to this conversation in a few minutes. But first, we want to honor the time of John Ward. He's going to join us next. Uh, He is a very experienced member of the media. He's a frontline journalist in Washington, D.C. He's a Christian. He's joining us next about his book, Testimony. If you're an evangelical Christian, you describe yourself as evangelical, and you, you felt like you've been going crazy 
the last half dozen years or so. Um, John's book, Testimony, comes as a powerful personal witness um, of a professional on the front lines of um, what we've all been experiencing in our own ways, in our own spaces. And John brings us um, his story next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. John Ward is one of uh, my go-to guys in terms of frontline media. He's a brother in Christ. He lives in Washington, D.C. He serves as the chief national correspondent at Yahoo News. In his professional career, John has covered American politics and culture for some two decades now, including as a White House correspondent traveling aboard Air Force One many times with Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama. For the past two administrations, he has served as the national affairs correspondent, writing about Well, the what, the who, the how of our national political discourse, which as a person who has over time described himself as an evangelical, has been a challenging run. I I trust John Ward to tell us the truth and to do so from the perspective of a person who actually knows what that means. And so that gives John a perspective that is not shared by all of his colleagues in the press corps. If you've been wondering, who can I pray for, who serves in the national media, um, well, you're going to meet him right now. His name is John Ward. John, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Thanks for having me. That's uh, that's a heavy mantle to put on my shoulders that you trust me to tell, tell you the truth. I feel the heaviness. Well, I hope. Um, yeah, I do. I trust you. I trust you to tell us the truth about not only what you witness and experience, but um, but then your perspective on it. So thank you. Thank you for um, for years of doing what you've been doing and for how you've been doing it. I really appreciate it. Um, maybe we should just start there. You um, you kind of inhabit, I would say two, but it's really more like three worlds. You are a very well-respected journalist. Um, you live in D.C., but I think it's fair to say um, you're not part of the D.C. scene. You're also, you know, a married guy with kids who loves Jesus. So can you just talk with us about... Um, living in sort of multiple worlds, but as one person, as one integrated human being? Sure. I mean, I think my family, uh, you know, my wife and my kids um, is a big part of helping me stay centered. Um, and people might be surprised by this, but there there are a fair number of normal people in D.C., many great people, you know, who just are raising children, coaching Little League, um, doing all the things that normal people do. And um, so that's kind of, you know, I, I I went to the correspondence dinner actually last weekend, and I hadn't been there for about five years because I had just gotten sick of it and, um, and just was kind of over it. Um, and it was interesting to be back there. Um, and I do, I, you know, I, I, I ran into people, well-known people, talk with them, you know, enjoyed that. But at the end of the day, I kind of, that, that ship sailed for me quite a while ago on, on getting excited about, you know, climbing my way up the ladder. At this point in my life, I'm 45 and I'm most interested in uh, setting my kids up for success um, and in trying to d- devote the rest of my professional career to uh, doing what Yuval Levin talks about, helping to build for the future. 
Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. I mean, but I, I, I as I write in the book, I grew up in a very uh, intense and, and kind of insular religious uh, evangelical church in the DC suburbs. Um, and I've actually never left this area, believe it or not. I know. I love that. Um, you are you are a person of place, and I appreciate that about you as well. I actually um, have heard you interviewed um, on the topic of testimony a couple of times, one by Julie Mason on POTUS, um, mm. and the other, uh, you know, on Holy Post uh, with Sky Jathani, and both were um, very intrigued. They both had vastly different experiences with the book because of their worldviews and, you know, the spaces that they inhabit in place and time. So um, I'll just say this. As a person who thought she understood both evangelicalism and the current milieu of sort of Christians engaging in the politics of the day, I learned so much from reading your book. Mm. Uh, and so the book, the title, for those of you looking for it, Testimony, John Ward is the author, Inside the Evangelical Movement that Failed a Generation. Um, you're here to help us understand the experience shared by a lot of people um, in America over the last, I'll say, half dozen years. Maybe it stretches a little beyond that. Maybe your perspective on that would be helpful. But you do so by telling us a longer story. So maybe just tell us the story. Yeah, I always kind of wanted to to write a book about the way I grew up, probably starting in college. But for a a decent amount of time, I wasn't really sure whether anybody would care, whether anybody should care. Um, over the last several years, it became clear to me that there was sort of a larger um, import or or meaning of my story that that could be of of help to people um, and. And so that's kind of why I decided to write it. Um, and I think you're right that like this, the story that we've seen over the last several years of um, evangelicals becoming more clearly sort of a, a voting block um, that votes in its own interests rather than according to any set of principles. I think that's the maybe one of the best ways to put it, because I, I try to actually stay away from talking about personalities. I try to talk about analyzing things from um, a systems and incentive structure perspective. I just, I think that's helpful, hopefully to people to think more critically about it. But I think what we've seen over the past several years has its roots for me, at least in the, you know, the moral majority and Jerry Falwell and the Christian coalition and, and the religious right, because I'm again, I'm in my mid forties. I would wager. And I know that there are many people around my age who grew up during the 90s and were turned off by the model of political political engagement we saw from the religious right even then, which was not really about contributing to the common good and was more about standing outside um, of the common good conversation and, and either critiquing it or uh, trying to impose you know, our perspective on it. And I just always felt like there was a better way. I felt like it was rooted in Christianity. And um, and then it kind of just the the ugliness of it kind of metastasized um, and accelerated over the last several years. So I don't is that answering your question or? So one of the things about our show, John, is it's a conversation. So yeah. whatever answer you give is an answer to the question because it's it's your answer. Yeah. It comes out of you know like right a real conversation. So um, this is in the spirit of you and I sitting down and having a cup of coffee and. 
you know, mm-hmm. me being as, you know, transparent and reflecting on the things that you've written. And then, you know, you wrote it. It's not like you wrote it yesterday. So I recognize that as an author. Like yeah. you've you've grown yeah. since you wrote the book. Right. So. Yes. Um, yes. So sometimes sometimes the answers to the question, you know, you know, we can't turn to page 158 and pull out a paragraph like, I, you know, I've lived since page 158 or whatever. So. Yeah. um, So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for um, just being open and transparent. We got to take a very, very brief break. Um, when we come back, it would be helpful, I think, if you could help us understand the difference or see the difference between what is widely described today as deconstruction and your experience, because that's not what you're doing here. And I think that would be helpful for people to understand. Could we do that in just a moment? Sure, absolutely. Yep. Great. We're talking with John Ward. In the forefront of the conversation is his book, Testimony, which is his story. And the subtitle, Inside the Evangelical Movement That Failed a Generation, and because I've written a book, I suspect that is more the publisher than John, but there you go. Testimony with John Ward. More next here on Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. One interviewer has described um, John Ward as Forrest Gump. That uh, is not uh, not far uh, from an accurate description of the journey he has walked over the course of his life and the interesting people that he has met. Grew up in the D.C. suburbs in a... Um, in a church that his parents helped found after they came to the Lord through the Jesus movement. That church then became a part of the charismatic movement later on, um, developed into, um, you know, a part of like the new Calvinist tribe, um, eventually left that that church and has been, um, you know, on a journey of discovery. And some, some might be tempted to describe uh, John's experience as deconstruction. I don't see it that way at all. So John, uh, John Ward is here. The book is Testimony. Can you maybe distinguish between what today would be described as deconstruction and your own experience? Sure. Thanks, Carmen. I mean, I've I've had a couple people bring this up with me and take different positions, um, and I have avoided using the term because I think it's widely used to describe somebody who's kind of walking away from their faith or um, throwing it out almost all all together. Um, and uh, I've had, you know, Curtis Chang, who does the Good Faith podcast, I was talking to him the other day, and he was arguing that it's actually a classic case of deconstruction, because uh, the more accurate description is one where you're um, looking back and 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 taking out the good and building on that and discarding the bad um and that you know that's probably i'm sure he has a great point but i still would avoid the term just because of the way that it's perceived as uh something uh particular and for me you know i think the through line of the book is that i was raised i was taught um a pretty simple (laughs) christian uh faith um Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, mean it, do it, live it. Um, lift up the the poor and the vulnerable. Um, and that's what I'm still seeking to do. And I think 
um, one of the challenges of the book is just seeing all of the ways that that simplicity of, of Christ gets distorted and manipulated. Um, and so uh, if that's deconstruction, so be it. But, it, you know, a young a young man who wrote a really nice review the other day called it a classic construction um, mm. story. So people have all kinds of different words for it. One of my pet peeves, I guess, is the way that people try to use words to control and box in. And so mm. anytime I see language being used like that, I start looking for new language because language is supposed to be a tool to help us understand. That's so good. I I describe myself as an evangelical Christian. I mean, at one in one season of my life, I served on the board of the National Association of Evangelicals. I don't I am absolutely unwilling to um to abandon the term because huh. I'm I mean, I'm classically evangelical. Would the kind of evangelical Christian that is described in different places throughout the book even ever accept me as an evangelical? No. I don't fit there. I don't I don't fit um their understanding of what it mean what it would mean for them um mm-hmm. it, to even lay claim to the term. But, you know, I I absolutely believe that the Bible is the word of God and that people are in need of salvation and that Jesus is the savior and lord and I believe it's my responsibility to share that great good news with mm-hmm. other people through both word and deed. Um and so like I'm I absolutely resonate with what you're saying in terms of when words are used in particular ways to um, either advance our own sense of power or to exclude people because of the way we use the term in a pejorative way. And so um, thank you. Thank you so much for um, the reminder of of words as tools. Um, Let's do this because we only have a couple of minutes left, sadly. Um, What... um, what happens this time around in in the election cycle, and particularly maybe with your eye on Christians in the culture? Hmm. Well, the conventional wisdom right now is that it's going to be Biden versus Trump. Um, I think on the Democratic side, Biden does look, you know, if his health remains, which is a question, um, to be the nominee um, on the Republican side, Trump is in a good position to be the nominee. I have felt even back to like January when DeSantis was rising that DeSantis was probably going to fade and that there might be somebody else who emerges. If somebody else emerges on the Republican side, I think there's plenty of demand for somebody else than Trump. Um, there's still a lot of columns being written calling for the GOP to choose somebody else because Trump is, uh, you know, has has been on a losing streak for the last three cycles. It's an interesting moment for evangelicals, for Christians in politics. Um, it would be great to see evangelicals take a stand on principle um, over the next you know year. Uh, I'm I'm not holding my breath waiting for it because I just don't think that you know hoping for uh, that sort of turnaround, especially in the political realm, is is a uh, is just the way I don't think it's the way it works. Um, and it's not human nature. Um, but I I think small conversations, you know, writing this book, just calling people to, to really, um, say, Hey, here's another chance to, uh, reassess where we stand, how you're engaging in politics. Um, you know, read the book, agree, disagree. Um, but my call or my, my, 
yeah, my call would be, you know, this is another chance for evangelicals to to really kind of wipe the slate clean and and think about how do I apply my faith to politics? How do I apply Jesus's command to love your neighbor as yourself to politics? Um, and that might not change your vote at the national level, but it might change the way you engage in your politics in your community. Yeah, and talk to your the members of your family about it and talk with your neighbors yeah. about it. Like, right, right, I think that so much of this today, and you, you're so transparent and raw in those portions of the book um, where you're talking about, you know, the relationship with your own family um, as, the, as the 2016 cycle developed um, and members of the media were um, maligned uh, and you were, you know, you are, and you are among them. Um, and so um, maybe hear me say today uh, on behalf of, the Faith Radio family, um, we're praying for you. Thank you for who you are and how you do what you do day in and day out, walking your faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Um, certainly thank you today for the conversation about testimony. Uh, Carmen, thank you so much for for having me on. And I just love your energy. You have been so encouraging to me, and I'm very grateful for that. So thank you. Well, that's mutual. That's mutual. We have our eye on you. So that's John Ward. Um, you ought to be checking out what he's what he's writing. You can easily find him at Yahoo News. You can find his book, Testimony, Inside the Evangelical Movement That Failed a Generation, everywhere. Um, John, thank you so much. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's go upwards for a moment with Max Lucado. All right. Well, we're going to return to our conversation about Psalm 23. But uh, of course, I want your feedback, what you um, what you're hearing, what you're experiencing this morning, what you need prayers for. You can always text me. Remember, the text line's always open. 877-933-2484. Mary Rose says that John Ward, he needs to be a regular. Yeah, we um, <laughs> I mean, I say this in the in recognizing that nobody is paid to be a guest, but like we couldn't afford him. Like, I mean, I'm just, I, if John Ward would agree to be a guest uh, on any sort of regular basis, like uh, that'd be, that'd be stunning. Um, Yeah. If you check him out and you see, you know, what he's working on and um, the things that he's doing, um, he's a, he's a bright, shiny light out there. And so, um, yeah, if you're looking for a guy to add to your prayer list in terms of uniquely positioned to be speaking truth um, and covering things fairly. Uh, John Ward, it's no H in John, uh, is your guy. Um, but thank you, Mary Rose, for that encouragement this morning. Hey, any uh, feedback you have, you can text me during the show, 877-933-2484. Um, we're going to get back to our conversation about the 23rd Psalm. Today's Growing Your Faith Verses of the Day, Psalm 23, 1-3. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green pastures. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. We're going to return to the conversation about sheep and the need for a shepherd and what God has to say in his word about both. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
All right, let's return to our conversation about the 23rd Psalm here this morning on Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. My guess is when I say Psalm 23, if you've been around for any length of time, what flows into your mind is this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is a passage of Scripture. It's a portion of Scripture. It's a testimony um, that is knit into hearts and minds of Christians and Jews um, over a long, long span of time. God has a lot to say in the Bible about shepherds and sheep. Um, It's not just the 23rd Psalm that comes to mind, right, when we talk about shepherds and sheep in the Bible. Um, Psalm 79, we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we recount your praise. Psalm 78, um, he led his people out like sheep. He guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Psalm 100, know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us and we are his. What are we? We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 119, all like sheep have gone astray. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, Lord, for I, uh, for I do not forget your commandments. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in chapters uh, 53 and 60, uses um, this language again. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Those are passages that you often hear um, in terms of the life of Jesus, whom we call the Christ. And in Isaiah 60, all the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Naboth shall minister to you, shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. You say to yourself, that sounds so odd. Well, the flocks he's talking about are the ingathered sheep of the shepherd. The prophet Jeremiah uses this um, as a, a warning to false shepherds, to um, bad shepherds. Jesus was going to refer to them later as well. But Jeremiah says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. And then Jeremiah 50, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone, and they have forgotten their fold. Ezekiel makes this incredible promise from God himself 
and it's going to be fulfilled in Jesus. Ezekiel 34, for thus says the Lord, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There, there they shall lie down in good grazing land. In rich pastures they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Who does that sound like? Why did Jesus come? Did he not come to seek and to save the lost? Did he not come as the good shepherd? Did he not also come as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world? Did he not also send his disciples out? Uh, In Matthew 10, he describes it as sheep, sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, we must be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Did Jesus not, when he saw the crowds in Matthew 9, have compassion for them because they were what? Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Did Jesus not, in his teaching in Matthew 18, Offer us this parable if a man had a hundred sheep and one of them went astray. Does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go and search for the one that went astray? Now, in reality, that they wouldn't. They wouldn't leave the 99, but the good shepherd does. Jesus says, if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. There's much rejoicing in heaven over the repentance of one person when one little lost lamb, one little lost sheep, is returned to the fold and returned to the Father, embraced by the good shepherd and brought home. Jesus uses the image of uh, sheep again um, when he is talking about judgment. He says in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he's going to sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he's going to separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats, which by the way, sheep and goats in Jesus's day, look awfully similar. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a hard distinction sometimes to make. But Jesus, know, I mean, you know, God knows the heart, right? It's not judging on outward appearance. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. In Matthew 26, Jesus says to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will stripe, strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Looking at uh, the Gospel of Luke, a couple of places where um, this image returns, this metaphor is used again, this description of Jesus as the good shepherd and you and I as little sheep. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Um, He offers again the... uh, 
the parable um, here of the 99 and the 1. And this is where he says in, uh, in Luke 15, there, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Luke offers us the interpretation there of that, of the parable of the lost sheep and the good shepherd. And then, of course, we know from John chapter 10, verses 11 to 15, Jesus says of himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Hired hand? <laughs> yeah, not a shepherd. The sheep are not his own. So he sees a wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. In 1 Peter, remember who Peter is, okay? Um, Peter is one that was scattered when the shepherd was struck, right? The, they, all, they all scattered. They all fled when Jesus was arrested. Peter among them. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. If you were straying like a sheep, I have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. You were once a stray sheep. I hope you like see that in yourself. I was once a stray sheep and God sent Jesus and he came to seek and to save the lost and to be the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Return to him. Return to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. I am thankful to God today that Jesus Christ is himself the good shepherd, that he has laid down his life for the sheep, that he came to seek and to save the lost that he is the one described in the 23rd Psalm. Indeed, it is Jesus who is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear evil. Because he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He has anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And I know that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Little sheep, allow yourself to be found today. The good shepherd wants you home. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, I have been thinking a lot uh, 
since our conversation recently with Jeff uh, Christofferson about his novel, Once You See Seven Temptations of the Western Church, I've been uh, I've been thinking a lot about the seven temptations, and I've been thinking a lot about where I see evidence of them and way, where, um, you know, like where professionalism has sort of let me off the hook or, you know, like, oh, well, there's missionaries over there and I'm, I'm, I'm financially supporting them. I'm prayerfully supporting them. I'm thankful for what they're doing, but that gets me off the hook for having to actually do the ministry of Christ. Um, nope. I mean, that's professionalism and that's not accurate. So, you know, what does it mean to be an activated member of the priesthood of all believers? Um, I mean, that's just one of the, you know, one of the seven temptations that he deals with. And um, so I've been thinking a lot about this. And one of the things, and he doesn't really describe it this way, but this is, as I've been thinking, this is one of the things that the Lord has brought to mind. So I just thought I'd share it with you this morning. Um, What we measure matters. What we measure matters. So what are the measures that we're using? And then how do those measures measure up to the standards against which we are measured? Okay, so let me try to unpack that. You and I um, measure relationships. We measure the temperature of the cultural times in which we live. We measure um, our sense of importance. We measure ourselves on um, on a cultural and societal scale. We, we measure ourselves. But, the, but I want us to think about that. And then I want us to think about how we are being measured. So what is the measure of a man? What is the measure of a woman? By the world's calculations and then by God's calculations. And those are different, right? The world measures people differently than God measures people. So how do we measure people and how do we measure God? Because the world measures God as not not the same not the same way that people of faith measure God. Like so what is God measuring? Just ask yourself that today. What is God measuring? Is he measuring Faith and faithfulness? Is he measuring righteousness? Is he measuring um, sin? Is he measuring holy? What is God measuring? And then what is the world measuring? Because the world is measuring completely different things. And to which of those are we actually responding, patterning our lives and our thoughts and our actions? Am I responding to the measurements of the world, which is measuring what? Financial wherewithal, um, followers on whatever social media platform just came to your mind? Um, what, what is the world measuring? Or how, and how is the world measuring us? And then... How is God measuring things, people, and how are we responding to that? So here are some measures I want you to think about today because they're way different measures than the world is using. I want you to think of the measure of glory. Glory is actually like the weight of God. So how are you going to measure that? How are you going to measure the glory of God? 
And if we exist to glorify God and enjoy him forever, if that's our chief end, if that's our first calling to glorify God and enjoy him forever, we got to know what glory is. We got to measure the glory of God. How are you going to do that? Spend a little time roaming around in that idea today. How are you going to measure the glory of God? How about worship? That's the worth of God. The The world likes to measure us based on our worth, net worth. Hey, when you think about net worth, do you think about fish in a net because you're a fisher of men? Or do you think about money in the bank, financial dollar signs, the market, your 401k, your retirement plan? There's a connection between worth and worship, actually. That's the origin of the word worship, worthship, what God is worth. You can't measure that by any sort of human measure, the worth of God, his worthiness to be praised. And you can't measure the glory of God by any human measure, the weight of God. How about the kingdom of God? People are often measuring um, seeing how they measure up to others in terms of a hierarchy. Well, the kingdom of God, the size and the scope of which cannot be measured by human measures, is, is what we pray in the Lord's prayer would come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we've never measured it, how can we appreciate its arrival? What do we learn from stories like the Tower of Babel? What do we learn on the Mount of Transfiguration? What do we learn in the visions of Ezekiel? What do we learn in the vision of John in the book of Revelation? People who beheld the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ never forgot what they saw. They never forgot what they experienced. It changed them in the moment. It changed how they lived, and it changed what they lived for. It changed what they measured. People who beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ never forgot what they saw. They never forgot what they experienced. People were literally transformed by their encounters with Jesus. They started measuring things differently. They started engaging with the world around them differently. What might we learn from that? What have you been measuring? If you don't feel like you measure up today to the measurements of the world, consider the measure of Christ. He brings the full weight of the fullness of the glory of God to bear on your life. And then he takes the yoke upon himself to make the burden easy and light. What are you measuring today? Consider the glory of God, his weightiness. Consider worship of God, his worth. Consider the kingdom of God, the size and scope of which (laughs) we can scarcely imagine. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Let's get some sun outside. Let's have some fun. Ain't nothing like them summer sun. 
All right, it's Friday, so it's time for the Friday Farm Report. Uh, all right, um, it is May. How many of you are participating in No Mo May? I don't know. I don't live in a place where No Mo May makes any sense at all. Um, I mowed already in May, and so uh, No Mo May, no way. That's my... We had to sharpen the blades, um, and yeah, I just... It, it, it was already like a like a hayfield. Um, yeah. So no mow may, no way at my house already mowed. I love to mow by the way. That's, uh, one of my favorite. It's so, it's like strangely therapeutic. You can actually see the results first of all, which I like very much. Um, it's so loud. You can't do anything else. So I like that. It's, it's like a one, you could just focus on one thing. Um, and yeah, and I love the smell of fresh mown grass. So there you go. All, and I'm outside. So yeah, yeah, sticking. No mo may, no way. Um, strawberries. Wow. So we took a different approach this year to our strawberries over the winter, and it has proven really productive this spring. We are already eating um, strawberries every single day from our little strawberry patch, and we have found a way to keep the squirrels out, which is essential. Um, and so there you go. That's uh, exciting. Our baby chicks are growing up. You will remember that we got eight sapphire gems and they are, um, unlike other chicks that we've raised, which get to this age and they're not very cute anymore. These are still beautiful. Uh, we have reached the stage in their life where you have to put a screen over the top where they, they're, you know, they're practicing flying and they're not great at it. But anyway, we have planted Sweet potato hills, tomatoes, zucchini, yellow squash, watermelon, chard, kale, beans, peas, herbs, corn. Jim has also planted additional corn, soybeans, and turnips for the deer. Because, you know, they need spring and summer snacks, too. All right, that is the Friday Farm Report. Everything is going swimmingly here. Let me know how things are going where you are. You can text me, 877-933-2484. We have another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Up next, radio. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.